Welcome back to the Going Coastal podcast, the podcast of the Students and New Professionals chapter of the American Shore and Beach Preservation Association and hosted by the American Shoreline Podcast Network. I'm one of your co-hosts, John Miller. And I'm also one of your co-hosts, Marissa Torres. And joining us today is Montana Denton, a recent graduate of USC, and I'll mention California, not Carolina, uh, and current world traveler. Uh, Today, we're going to talk to Montana about her experience as an undergraduate environmental studies major and how she ended up getting interested in the coastal field uh, and what her future plans are. So let's welcome to the show, Montana. Thank you. Welcome, welcome. Thanks so much for being here. Montana, one of the first things that we do with all of our guests is is just ask a very open-ended question, um, ask you to describe a little bit about your experience, kind of who you are, um, and then we'll just go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as you said in your great introduction, and thanks for pointing out as well that it's California, not Carolina, important distinction. Um, I graduated from USC in this past May, so May of 2022. Um, I studied environmental studies, so I focused on oceans, life, and people, took a lot of oceanography, marine biology, aquaculture, all sorts of things like that, and I am currently calling in from Queenstown, New Zealand, um, which is wild, a little bit different than where, (laughs) yeah, a little bit different than um, the past four years that I spent in downtown LA, but that was the point. I wanted something different. Um, So like John said, current world traveler, I guess. I'm just trying to figure it all out. (laughs) So we should have said good day when we first started as opposed to uh, hello. (laughs) Um, Yeah, maybe I'll come visit you. I'll be I'll be I'll be in Australia uh, soon attending the International Coastal Engineering Conference. So maybe I'll swing by. Yeah, well, I have yet to be—I have yet to visit Australia, but I have heard lots of good things. So that's probably next on my list while I'm in the in the neighborhood. I think I actually lived in Australia for a year, and I think the we used to always say that you know it was really like choose your danger, right? So like when you're <laughs> in New Zealand, you have like earthquakes and like natural things to worry about, and then in Australia, you have like the most poisonous snakes and jellyfish and all sorts of stuff. Like literally everything can kill you in Australia. Is that true? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's not a whole lot to worry about over here in New Zealand, which makes for nice outdoor adventures. Have you met the prime minister yet? Oh my gosh. Seen her walking around. No, but I have met people that work with her. I, you know, I feel like I'm getting one degree of separation closer. So we'll see. That would be a nice bucket list item. <laughs> such a tight-knit community over there, such a small country. Cool. So I think the uh, the, the distinction between the two USC schools is really important. See, somebody who's a, a Florida Gator and South Carolina is a sworn enemy. I, I, can, I can say that you graduated from the school with a good football team, right? Good now. Um, <laughs> I think I kind of missed out on that window, but I'm, I'm happy for them now, um, even though I'm, what, 7,000 miles away. Everyone looks like they're having a good time at the football games, so I can't be too upset. Yeah, they're doing really well this year. So let's talk a little bit more about your, I guess, your undergraduate um, experience. We talk with a, we're talking with a lot of uh, engineers. Uh, we talk with a lot of coastal policy folks, and you sort of have a little bit of a different uh, focus. And uh, so let's just talk a little bit about your your undergraduate. So kind of, I guess, how did you get in- interested in coastal topics to begin with, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think especially because of the pandemic, um, my undergraduate experience 
took a kind of different path than I was expecting. Um, but I am originally from San Diego, California, which, as you know, most people know, is the culture revolves around the beach and the ocean. And we're home to the Scripps Institution of Oceanography. Um, so the ocean presence is huge in San Diego. Um, and I'll be honest, when I was um, a little kid, we'd go to the beach all the time with my family. And I was absolutely terrified of the ocean. Um, I wouldn't go in the water. I would stand on the shore. I would yell out things about stingrays. Um, it was not a good look for me. So I'm not quite sure at what point that changed. But I do think that in general, something that I found is people tend to shy away or kind of fear things that they don't understand. And that's how I felt about the ocean for a really long time. Um, and this is kind of my mission going forward. And I as we'll get to, I did a whole lot of science communication and writing as an undergrad. And I think that that's something that really helped me, you know, as a young kid kind of get over that fear of my ocean, of the ocean and realize that it's something that can be understood and explained. And I don't know, kind of intellectualizing those fears, I guess, and turning them into curiosity. Um, so I started at USC in fall of 2018. So I was lucky enough to have about a year and a half of regular um, before pandemic college experience, which was great. Um, and then from my sophomore, begin, middle of my sophomore year until the beginning of senior year was totally online. Um, so very interesting to have basically the whole middle portion of college kind of taken away from you in a way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I ended up doing environmental studies, which I also kind of stumbled into. I got to USC and realized that I'd spent basically all four years of high school, just working really hard to get into a school like that. And I hadn't really taken a lot of time to think about what I wanted to do, which is maybe not the best admission for, you know, a podcast about science and coastal topics, but it's true. Um, I got to USC and I sat there and I was like, well, what do I want to do? Um, so I would say my first semester at USC was a lot of like soul searching and question, asking myself like big questions about <laughs> um, what I was interested in and what could I see myself studying. Um, and I ended up taking a lot of my GEs about environmental and coastal topics. And I was like, you know what, this, this seems like a good thing for me to study. I ended up going out to USC has a marine science center out on Catalina Island. So I went out there for a trip with our dorm in the spring and that kind of solidified that decision for me. Um, so that was kind of the beginning of my introduction into environmental studies. And as soon as I started taking the classes for that major, I knew it was the right fit for me. I was taking classes in policy, science, um, all sorts of different kind of aspects of the environment. And it just kind of sparked my curiosity, which I think in terms of choosing a college major and you know having to pick something at 18 that you theoretically want to go into as a career, I, you can't really ask for more than that. Um, things kind of changed once I... Once the pandemic happened, obviously we got, everyone got sent home. Um, I was sitting at home doing, I remember a biology lab online. Um, <laughs> there was all kinds of weird stuff and all kinds of, you know, it's, it's hard to conduct science through Zoom, I would say. Um, but that was kind of the opportunity for me to kind of incorporate another interest of mine into my curiosity about the environment, which was writing and communicating. Um, and this wasn't something that I'd done a ton of at USC uh, that spring semester. So spring 2020, I'd started writing for the school paper, The Daily Trojan. Um, and I was just writing some opinion articles about, I don't know, topics that were relevant to USC student life, essentially. Um, but then in the fall, I proposed and pitched a column idea that would be 
basically just me writing about environmental and climate issues. And that was kind of the springboard for something that I continued throughout the rest of college. And if I'm being honest, I don't know if I had, I don't, if the pandemic hadn't happened, I'm not sure that I would have gravitated down that path, which is really interesting because it became a huge part of my college experience and kind of what I'm doing now. What a journey. <laughs> That's pretty wild. Um, so like taking biology classes online, what they do, mail you a squid to dissect in your own house, like in your kitchen. I'm sure <laughs> that's useful. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, especially as the like right when the pandemic started, like obviously no one was prepared for something like that. So it was definitely a weird adjustment. And I think that, you know, in some ways I missed out on a lot of hands on opportunities within the environmental science um, major and course requirements. But I think I more than made up for it in other ways. And I think that Daily Trojan and writing about the environment was a really, really valuable way in kind of analyzing those issues from a variety of lenses. Yeah, that is really interesting. I like what I like how you um, were originally terrified of the ocean, which objectively makes sense. Like ocean is a scary place, I think, just in general. Um if if you're not immediately entranced by it, right? It's there's a lot of things lurking in in places that you can't see, and it's a very powerful force. But I find it interesting that you were able what you said turning your fears into curiosity through science communication and writing, right? So you mentioned that if it wasn't for the pandemic, you might not have gotten involved in the Daily Trojan. It, was that like your turning point, or is that something that early? Earlier on, you realized that science communication and writing, just writing and communication in general, was that's what you gravitated more. And you just kind of used science as, you know, uh, that's that's the topic that uh, to communicate through, question mark. Yeah, I mean, I'll say that I think when, well, to clarify, I got over my fear of the ocean probably by like middle school. So, you know, I wasn't sitting on the sand and cowering in fear while all of my friends were going out swimming. Um, but if elementary school me could see me now, I mean, well, back home in California, I was going surfing every day before I flew out here to New Zealand. So I would say it's safe to say that I, I surpassed that fear, at least for the most part. Um, I do think though that like, I don't know, I think I had always been interested in reading about science topics. I think, especially for me, something that I started to realize during undergrad and something that I really tried to incorporate into these articles that I was writing for Daily Trojan um, was that a lot of the information that's published about science topics, particularly, you know, when it comes to things like climate change, like those, those articles are very heavily academic and there's a lot of jargon and a lot of numbers and data and things that aren't going to make sense to the average person. And I think that's kind of where I found my niche of how do I take this, you know, extremely complex scientific just problem that people aren't necessarily going to understand all of the elements and aspects of and break it down and explain it to someone that maybe doesn't have a PhD, right, in atmospheric science, something like that. Um, So I think that that's something that I specifically looked to do. Um, Yeah, I mean, I, I, in a weird way, like, I feel like I would have ended up gravitating towards writing about the environment and climate and coastal issues in general. But 
it was just kind of a weird, <laughs> a weird path to get there, I think. And the pandemic was really sort of the catalyst in me finding that. I think that I, I'd really hoped to get some research experience my junior year of college. And of course, that entire year was totally on Zoom, totally online. Um, and I was like, okay, like, you know, working in a lab is probably going to be out the window. Um, but I think for me, proposing that column, it was called Triple Bottom Line, um, and I published an article every other week for two years. And I think for me, writing that column was kind of, in a way, my substitute for research experience, at least for that portion of college. Because um, I got to investigate and read about all of these different issues that, you know, maybe we discussed briefly in class or maybe things that I'd just seen online on Twitter, things like that, that I was curious about learning more about and explaining to, I don't know, my friends, my parents, anyone who was reading the articles, right? Um, yeah. And that's kind of how I, I, I guess, found myself doing that. Yeah. Thank goodness you did. Like that is a superpower that most engineers do not have, to be honest. <laughs> I still can't explain to my parents what I do. They just think I'm a marine biologist and it's just not right. <laughs> we we got to work on that, that bridging that gap, converting the jargon into plain language. It, they don't, they don't teach that to us. So I'm super impressed. Uh, and that sounds really awesome. And I'm glad that you found something that you really enjoy doing and gives you meaning and purpose. Like that's all that we could hope to aspire to achieve in our lives. And um, I guess just in general, uh, in terms of journalism, communication, writing, like what is your process? Like how do you go about synthesizing uh starting a call uh like you know starting an article for your column kind of thing and and what's your what's your process like yeah absolutely i mean i will preface that i think by saying that i don't have a ton of formal training so my <laughs> my journalistic process may not be as streamlined or i don't know it may not be as streamlined as someone who went through the journalism school at usc for example um but i think that for me the basis of writing about any issue is probably just starting with something that I'm curious about. Um, and maybe that's like kind of self-serving, especially when I was writing for Daily Trojan, like genuinely, I would just pick topics that I wanted to learn more about. And maybe I wanted to just have a little bit more um, expertise in and something that I could explain to my friends. Um, for example, so I did end up taking one journalism class in college. Um, so that's about all we're working with in terms of formal training. Um, but at my last semester of college, I took climate stories, um, and it was a new journalism class offered by the Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism. Um, and we had a prompt basically to pick a topic that we would work on for the semester. Um, and it was very, very open-ended, just something about the climate. And, you know, you can turn that into any sort of journalistic medium that you wanted. Um, so this story was actually run on Coastal News Today, which was amazing and also shared by San Diego Surfrider. Um, but I sat there for a little bit and I was like, well, what am I curious about learning more about? And I think I was home for, I don't know, I'd driven home for the weekend and I was walking on the beach with my dad and I looked up at the, the cliffs at South Del Mar Beach and I was like, you know, what would be really interesting is writing about coastal erosion because for the first few years, well, that USC was in person, I did not have a car and I would take the... Um, 
Amtrak line from LA down to San Diego to go home for breaks. And then I'd take it back up to Union Station to go back up to LA for school. Um, and sometimes you'd be on the surf liner and uh, the train would be stopped or the train would be going really slow at a crawling pace. And a lot of that had to do with um, what kind of construction they were doing on the tracks. And a lot of that construction had to do with what was going on in, um, you know, with, with coastal erosion, basically. You'd get to like San Clemente and you'd be inches away from the ocean. And in a lot of places, that surf liner uh, railroad track is only 100 feet away from the ocean, hence the name. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I like I said, I kind of maybe pick some like topics that I'm just genuinely curious about and go off of that. But that turned into the biggest journalism project that I've done to date. And I spent um, basically months um, researching and investigating and talking to experts and reading articles online and kind of just hopping from one lead to another to kind of understand what was going on with coastal erosion in San Diego and how that was relevant to public and private infrastructure that was built into the cliffs or on the bluffs. Um, so yeah, in terms of process, I can't say it's really the most linear thing in the world. I think there's a lot of creativity and curiosity to it, but, um, using that as an example, because that was the most in-depth project I've done, I think I'd started off with a lot of background reading and research and things that already existed, especially with news articles, and then kind of moving from there and seeing, you know, the names that were repeated in articles and experts that were cited and trying to talk to those people and then getting sent academic papers and, um, things like that. And just kind of, it was really fun in a way. It was very, it was like kind of an investigation. I felt a little bit like a detective. Um, and it's cool too. I think the more people you interview about a topic, um, your questions get better. I think the more you understand, the more people you talk to, they kind of influence your understanding in a positive way. And then you in turn, turn around and ask better questions to the next person that you talk to. So in terms of journalistic process, like I said, I think that it's very, it's a little bit scattered for me. Um, but I think that was my best experience so far in kind of building knowledge and improving my knowledge as I went. Well, that, that story sounds amazing. Is that in terms of the, I guess, the the different uh, science topic or topics just in general that, that, that you've had the opportunity to write about? Is that, is that one that, uh, is that your favorite? Is there, is there, is there one that stands out as maybe the craziest topic that you've ever had or most difficult um, to write about? Yeah. I mean, I think that because that was the most in-depth topic, it really gave me a lot of time to kind of explore all of the different aspects and, you know, like multifaceted parts of that issue. Um, I've definitely covered other topics, not in such great detail for the Daily Trojan. I know one thing that came to mind is I talked about the birth strike movement and that one, you know, it can get controversial because it borders on um, issues like abortion and things like that and whether or not you should bring children into the world because of this ecological crisis that humans are playing a major part in, um, which obviously issues like that, I really, you know, kind of like spiked my curiosity and I'd love to learn more about that at a later time, but also with Daily Trojan, you know, you basically have a, a week's turnaround to write an article. So um, compared to this coastal erosion topic, I had, I had months to work on that. And I will say that that one just, I mean, it was physically and uh, metaphorically like, very close to home, um, which I thought was incredibly fascinating. Like I didn't realize there was so much going on kind of literally inside the bluffs. Um, like those are just things that I'd passed like all the time growing up. Like, you know, we'd go to the beach right right near the bluffs. We'd go to, down to Torrey Pines and there's all kinds of coastal erosion happening. Um, I, you know, took the train for a year and a half and experienced that firsthand. So I think that, yeah, in terms of, um, 
I don't know, like favorite topics. I think that that's probably been the most intriguing thing so far, just because it led me constantly to new things. Like it's very, I mean, there are people who have built careers off of communicating about the coastal erosion situation in California. Like that's a very viable thing to, you could spend your entire life um, reporting on that and educating people on that topic. And it would, there'd, there'd still be more to talk about, which is really crazy to me. Yeah, that's uh, having being somebody that's been on the opposite side of that, you know, somebody who's been interviewed by the press, you know, many, many times on a number of different topics. Um, you know, it's really impressive to hear you explain sort of the process that you went through and, um, you know, the amount of uh, effort that you went through to, you know, really learn about the science to be able to explain it well. Um, you know, at such a young age, I think that's, that's just, that's, that's honestly very, very impressive. So glad to hear you, uh, talk about that. So in terms of that, um, that, uh, that article, like what, what is, um, I guess, um, what are the, uh, sort of takeaways? Like what are the, what are the most critical points that, um, uh, observations, I guess, that you came away with? Um, cause I know, you know, certainly coastal erosion, whether it's in California or New Jersey or Rhode Island or New Zealand is a very controversial topic, how to handle coastal erosion, how to address it, climate change, sea level rise, things getting worse. Um, it's a very much a hot button topic. So, um, you know, what are some of the things that you walked away with as a, you know, as a young undergraduate student kind of, you know, walking into this, um, that we can all learn from maybe? Yeah. I mean, I think that you know, one of the reasons that coastal erosion is such a hot button topic is it's like the direct clash of humans in the environment, right? Like, I think it's a very physical manifestation of, you know, this issue of climate change and things that we're doing to the environment and things that the environment are doing is doing in turn to us because of things that we've caused. And obviously coastal erosion is getting worse in many ways because of we're building things on the coastline and we have these multi-million dollar properties that are inches from the beach and they have, you know, the greatest views in the world, but how long are they really going to last? And obviously, you know, we're contributing to things like sea level rise with emissions and things like that. And then there's going to be stronger storms that are, you know, just eating away at the cliffs. So I think that it's a very physical representation of anthropogenic interactions and, you know, how, how we contribute to climate change, first of all. Um, and yes, like you said, this is something that's happening all around the world. So it's definitely very interesting to see how different places are dealing with such a controversial issue. Um, sorry, I'm just thinking for a second. We can cut this out. I lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, yeah, I do think as well, the main thing that, you know, we can take away, I can take away from writing this story and that people can take away from reading about this story, whether it's my article, or you're reading about it in the San Diego Union Tribune or the LA Times or the New York Times is that there are a lot of different aspects to whether it's dealing with coastal erosion or other climate issues. Um, specifically in my work, I talked about, you know, there's a lot of economic and political and like policy considerations to take into when you're dealing with an issue like this. You have homeowners in a very arguably wealthy sector of San Diego County, um, and they have power. You have the government, you have this public transportation crisis of what do you do with this railway? Do you keep it there? And, you know, at some point it becomes non-operable. Do you spend, I think it's, you know, there were within the hundreds of millions to try and relocate it and move it underground or inland. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of, I think, different arguments and sides and interpretations to this issue. And I think that that's something that 
we don't necessarily tend to consider when talking casually about climate issues is that, you know, you have all of these different considerations to take into account when making decisions regarding climate issues. Um, And I think coastal erosion is a great example of that. Wow. Hearing you explain that, um, you do a great job of, uh, of explaining all of the complexities, right? So as engineers, you know, Marissa and I, we tend to take a look at the problem from one perspective, but you really bring the social context and the, 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 the political context and the coastal management context. Um, and I think underlying it all, right, is that communication aspect, which, um, you know, which is so great to hear you, uh, hear you talk about, because I think that's one of the things that we suffer. We spoke a few weeks ago or a few podcasts ago uh, with some folks from Sea Grant, um, and they talked a lot about education and outreach and, um, you know, how important it is to be able to explain these very complicated issues to, um, you know, the people in many cases that are making the decisions, right? So um, I guess here's a, here's a question to kind of play on, I guess, your hometown versus your college town versus where you are now in New Zealand. Are, are there, um, and maybe you haven't been in New Zealand long enough to, to, to recognize this, but are there any major differences or even commonalities between the way that the coast is viewed or managed in those places? Yeah. So I will say I haven't, well, right now I'm in Queenstown. So I'm living on Lake Wakatipu, which is a little bit different. I've never lived anywhere inland. I'm in a mountain town, you know, skiing everywhere. So it's, I I just kind of ended up here and it's great because it's completely different. Um, And I, you know, I think that organizations like the Surfrider Foundation and the Sea Grant branches in California, um, which I worked with USC Sea Grant as well on a few initiatives, they do a great job, I think, of incorporating kind of that community aspect and educating people through a variety of different avenues about these coastal issues and why they matter. Um, And I think that one thing that I've noticed in New Zealand, and this isn't necessarily um, a coastal initiative, but I still think it's important to mention is that the, New Zealand has um, their Department of Conservation, which is you know arguably similar to the setup in the U.S. But the Department of Conservation has all kinds of really cool opportunities to basically get involved, hands-on in different um, in different ways, in different conservation um, initiatives, essentially. Um, and I have yet to volunteer with them, but actually, this coming March, I'm going to be working as a biodiversity ranger for a month in Nelson Lakes National Park. Um, which is a volunteer position, but free accommodation, can't turn that down. Um, And I'm going to be working on their biodiversity initiatives within the park. And I think that that's a really interesting strategy of not only educating people, but letting them get involved in hands-on ways um, to kind of, you know, understand and immerse themselves and address these environmental issues firsthand. So for example, New Zealand has a lot of invasive species, you know, um, I'm, in an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. We're so far from basically everything else in the world. Um, And so there's all kinds of different purposely and accidentally introduced species within New Zealand. Um, And one of them, well, a few of them, they're they're really dealing with some issues with possums and also stoats, which which are, um, I've heard vaguely weasel-like. I have yet to see one. Um, (laughs) But that's a huge issue in the national parks. And so basically you'll go hiking in any of the national parks and you see these wooden boxes that are located kind of off the track everywhere you go, even super deep, like you're days into a track and you'll see these boxes. Um, And they're stoat boxes. So basically those are set out to trap these invasive weasel 
creature, rodent creatures. Um, and I'll be helping with that initiative when I go out to Nelson Lakes National Park, which is at the top of the South Island. Um, so I think it's a really cool opportunity basically to educate people with hands-on interactions with, you know, these conservation and nature and environmental problems that, you know, New Zealand specifically is dealing with. But I think that that's a really cool way of doing it. And the U.S. should, I don't know, I think there, there could be more opportunities to get involved like that, even especially with coastal issues. Yeah, for sure. That's actually, uh, it's very relevant to something uh, my students and I have been working on a, a set of guidelines for living shorelines projects. And one of the things that is brought up specifically uh, when projects are constructed in urban environments is the opportunity for people to get access to, to be down and, and get hands-on um, with nature, because really that's how you learn and how you get that sort of initial interest in many cases. And then you know, once it kind of blossoms, you know, who knows where it goes. There's so many different directions um, that you can go from there. So I think that's a really important point that you just, you just made there. Um, you know, one thing I think that was really interesting about your, your sort of story um, is the way that you uh, dealt with um, issues related to the pandemic and how it opened up opportunities that you didn't see coming. Um, you know, as somebody who's got a daughter who's now thinking about colleges um, uh, and doesn't know what she wants to do, um, do you think, um, you know, a school like USC with a very broad curriculum, um, you know, is that, uh, you know, I guess being in a place like that, did it, did it help in terms of uh, opening doors to you or providing you many options and opportunities? Because as people in the coastal industry that, um, where we, we have a publicity problem. People don't really know that careers in this field exist. Um, so I'm just kind of uh, curious about your experiences at USC and, um, you know, eventually taking that coastal path. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think publicity problem is a good way of putting it. And I think that I'm was really lucky that I ended up you know, having the opportunity to go to USC and then choosing to go to USC because I think that USC really encourages and fosters kind of creativity and, you know, pursuing things that you're passionate and curious about and not just things that at the end of the day are going to make you a paycheck. Um, and I think that's a very, it's a very welcoming environment to be in. Um, like I said, I got to USC and I was, I'd always had, you know, I'd love being outside and going to the beach and well, you know, well, not when I was a kid, but um, <laughs> going on hikes and things like that. But I didn't really think about the fact that you know, in whatever way it ends up turning out, I would love to turn that into a career. And I think that USC really encouraged me to pursue those things that I was curious and interested in um, and, you know, follow follow that further. And I think that that's an attitude that I wouldn't necessarily have now had I not spent four years in person and online pursuing, I don't know, just things that I was interested in. Wow. Unofficial plug for USC in case anybody <laughs> was interested in pursuing their passions and figuring themselves out might be a good opportunity. Yeah. Sorry about that. I have to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I 100% respect, uh, respect that. I know I've had a few unofficial plugs for URI on this show before just having some previous URI folks join. So you're in good company. Everything's fine. 
<laughs> but I think you know. I think it's imp- I think it's important that we 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 encourage this because, quite honestly, um, you know, when I think of coastal universities or programs, I don't necessarily think of USC. Um, and like I think that's a that's a it gets a lot of times the coastal professions sort of get lost in the the bigger picture, right? Like the there's so much going on, um, and I think it's important because a lot of these. Um, you know, even though the, the USC may not be necessarily famous for their coastal studies or uh, program, I think that there's opportunities um, in all of these different places. Uh, so I think it's important to bring some awareness to, you know, uh, all of the different options and opportunities at all of our different universities. So I'm more than happy to put in a great plug for USC. So raising awareness. Yeah, I think it really exposes you to, I mean, I I never really considered any of those things viable career paths. I mean, I don't have really any, I I don't have a lot of people in my family who have um, a background in the natural sciences. And that wasn't something that, you know, I I was aware of what a PhD was. I, I didn't really know much more than that, but I've met professors and fellow students who are kind of pursuing their passion for the natural sciences and environment and coastal sciences specifically in so many different ways. And I think that that was the value in going to a school like that is that you can also see how you can kind of combine all of your interests and skill sets in very unique ways. Um, And there's not just one set defined path to do that. Like it doesn't mean that you have to go be a scientist and work in a lab every day. It doesn't mean that you have to um, be an environmental reporter. Like there's ways of combining those things into, I don't know, I think avenues that are very unique and specific to your interests and strengths and things like that. For sure. And you're going to find that, I guess, hopefully wherever you go, uh, wherever, you <laughs> to, wherever you end up. Uh, I think that's also something that you learn in general through the different stages of your life, whether, you know, you're in high school, if you're able to figure it out that early, fantastic. But I feel like the majority of people don't figure that out until college. And even then, grad school, maybe because you don't know if you want to go to grad school or go into the next stage of your life. And then you do grad school and you start a job and you still don't know what you're doing and who you are. And that's also fine wherever, wherever you find your passion, I guess just don't give up, uh, and finding what it is that makes you get up in the morning, I guess, what you're passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. You know, unofficial life advice, I guess. Um, on the spot, you know, you we're hitting all aspects of coastal and it starts with you, uh, the individual for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Being weird. Everything's fine. No, absolutely. And no, you know, like full disclosure, like that's still me right now. And obviously environmental communication is something that I'm very passionate about. And I hope to continue that and turn that into a viable career in some way. Um, But also, you know, I'm 22. I don't really have any real world experience yet. And obviously booking a one-way ticket to New Zealand was a very drastic post-college choice. But at the same time, I think it's been just so valuable, I think, and kind of opening up my worldview and perspective and kind of figuring out who I am outside of, you know, I was a full-time student for what is that, like 17 years. Um, So kind of just realizing that there's more out there besides, 
you know, just going to school and like, what else do I enjoy? What else sparks my curiosity? Um, I don't know what else is out there. I think the U.S. can be very insular sometimes. And I think that, you know, coming to New Zealand was like so it was just the greatest personal growth opportunity for me. And I think personal growth is kind of an aspect of, you know, finding yourself that I think sometimes falls by the wayside in the U.S. So I think that that in in itself has also been incredibly valuable, I think, in, I don't know, my, my life journey, I guess. Hell yeah. That's awesome. Rock on. I don't know if we can Thank swear you. on this show, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think certainly I, I had a chance to spend a year in Australia on a Fulbright and I would, Montana, everything that you said, I'd echo it 1000% about uh, tending to have more of an insular view in the United States and the the value of the experience to get out and to travel and to see the world and just be able to appreciate the way other people you know, view the world. I think that's spot on. So congratulations to you for taking that bold leap, like you said, and, and, and getting out there. So with that being said, do you have an idea of what your future might hold or are you still yet to be determined? Uh, where do you see yourself going? Well, I think I would love to stay within the realms of writing about climate and coastal and environmental topics. I think that that would be the optimal outcome. Um, but at the same time, New Zealand has kind of given me an opportunity to kind of, I guess, like dabble in freelancing at a very low stakes environment. Um, I'm on a working holiday visa here. So basically I have a year in New Zealand. I can work jobs. I can move around. Um, and I'm also trying to do some writing on the side if I can. I've kind of worked on a few projects. I'm kind of trying to pitch some ideas. If I'm being honest, there's just so many cool things to do here. <laughs> Sometimes I, you know, I haven't done quite as much work on that as I've wanted to, but honestly, we've had about eight days of rain in a row. And I think it's been a blessing in disguise. It's allowed me to get a little bit more focused. Um, so I think that would be the optimal outcome is continuing to be a communicator and an educator and writing and explaining about all of these different issues and obviously coastal topics being one of them. Um, but also, you know, this opportunity for me to be abroad and to travel is also to kind of see what else could I see myself doing. Um, I ended up getting some lab experience at USC. So I worked in a lab for about seven or eight months, I think, from the summer after my junior year into my senior year. And I studied phytoplanktons and basically changing ocean chemistry and harmful algal blooms. Um, I also worked at USC's new research facility. It's all to see at the Port of Los Angeles. So basically working on kind of like an aquaculture startup. Um, and both of those are valuable experiences as well. So I think that, you know, it's kind of fun to just explore and try new things. And I think ultimately what draws me to writing is that I can kind of, I'm, I'm just a curious person. And I think in that way, I just, you know, my job is getting to ask people questions about what they do. And I get to go around and see things and try things and learn about how things work and why we do things like that, especially when it comes to environmental and climate topics. Um, but yeah, at the same time, you know, I don't really want to rule anything out. I mean, grad school's expensive, like can't get around that. And I was like, I'd much rather go and see some things. And if that leads me to grad school, at least I'll be a little bit more set on what I want to do in grad school and why I want to do it. Because I didn't want to aimlessly <laughs> apply to grad school just because I was trying to put off being an adult. So I think that this was a really great opportunity for me to kind of get thrown into the real world. Um learn how to be more independent and be a problem solver. And, you know, I'd learn how to drive, a, I had to buy a car and then learn how to drive it on the left side of the road. Like 
that's a lot of those are a lot of things right there like that's some real independence that's um, real world and, you know, stuff it really is and in the grand scheme of things i think it makes i don't know like the other aspects of being an adult a little bit less daunting because if i can do it seven thousand miles away from home and being alone then i can come back and do that in the u.s and california and figure things out so i mean i wouldn't drive on the left side of the road in california no <laughs> i'm actually a little bit worried about that um <laughs> Figure I think it out. into society in California is going to be now, – now I'm great at it. I, you know, I'm breezing through the roundabouts here at the proper speed limit, of course. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of different aspects to kind of finding your path and figuring out what works for you. And I'm trying to, I don't, I don't know, reiterate to myself that there's life outside of just my career and just what I do for work. And hopefully my career will lead me to something that's really personally fulfilling and interesting and Things, you know, like this stuff I, I would love to do for a job, like that would be the greatest scenario in the world. But at the same time, I think that traveling kind of opens your eyes to other things. So I'm really just exploring at the moment, I would say, trying to figure it out. And killing it. Trying to. <laughs> I think that's an understatement. I think you're, uh, the, the, you're, I'm like blown away by your maturity of your, of your viewpoints and perspectives. I think, um, yeah, I think whatever wherever direction you decide to head, I think you're you're trending in the right direction. I think it's you know been really important like for our audience, you know, students and new professionals thinking about what they want to do next. Are they in grad school? Are they in undergrad? Where do they want to go? And you know, I think a lot of times you worry about like, are you doing it the right way? Or and I think what you're basically with the way that you've approached it is there's no right or wrong. It's just kind of what works for you and what you're ready to do. And, you know, I think, I think it's great to hear that, uh, that perspective. So uh, there's no need to rush through. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, that's what I'm trying to tell myself. I think, you know, even coming here, um, I, I mean, I was in a very academically, academically rigorous environment for four years. And I think coming here and, you know, a lot of my peers are starting grad school and starting jobs and like, there's still a little bit of imposter syndrome of, is this the right thing? Um, but you know, I get to go on, I'll, well, we call them tramps here, right. But I've been on all kinds of solo backpacking trips and adventures and gone to all these places that I'd just seen pictures of and read about for so long. And I think that that really does reiterate to me, like there is no right way to do it. And I think I'm just going to keep this going on this pattern of pursuing things that I'm curious about and interested in and Hopefully that doesn't lead me astray. <laughs> so you, you brought up tramps, so I'm gonna have I have a sort of a fun question. For what sure. Is, <laughs> what is the most uh, I guess interesting or confusing language slash slang term that you've encountered in New Zealand? Because when I was in Australia, I, I swear to God, it was a different language. Oh yeah, <laughs> there's some weird ones. I mean, there's some that like make sense. There's some that are just like. I don't know. I have, I've been keeping a list of like just things because I'm trying to remember what people are telling me. Um, oh, the other day someone was telling me a story and they, they said that they had met up with, they ran into someone in Queenstown and we're just chatting and they said they're having a yarn. And I was like, what? Excuse me. <laughs> um, and you know, to me as well, they have an accent. And I, I was like, what did you say? <laughs> um, and apparently, you know, that's just like you're chatting, you're, you know, kind of catching up for a second. And I had to like look it up later because I was like, what? Like, what did they say? Um, and I think even, you know, when I first got here, like 
to me, the New Zealand accent was very foreign to my ears. So people would say things and I was like, I don't even know what you're telling me right now. Um, which is, and it's, I think it's been really funny too, because I've noticed that I've like assimilated a little bit as well. Um, you know, like I'll be getting low on gas in my car and then I'm like, oh, let me go stop by the petrol station and get some fill up on petrol yeah. <laughs> or, you know, like, um, the other day uh-huh. I was talking to someone and well, there's a lot of like British influence as well. And someone said, um, they were like, they were asking me a question and I said, oh yeah, I reckon we should do this. And I was like, wait a second. And I stopped myself because I was like, I have never uttered those words in my entire life that I reckon something. <laughs> so I think it also, you know, you're just kind of, you kind of internalize stuff because that's, that's who you're interacting with. Um, so I don't know. I'll probably come back to the U.S. with like some, oh. some weird phrases, but <laughs> It's it's so funny. I get I get I get made fun of all the time because growing up in North Jersey, I have a little bit of a New Jersey accent. Living in Gainesville for five years for grad school, picked up a little bit of southern some southern twangs and slangs, and and then over in Australia, uh, sometimes it just all comes out. It just just jumbles together and it just comes out confused. <laughs> so that makes me the perfect podcast host so that nobody can understand you. Exactly. <laughs> you were just a mess. Yeah. Speaking of which, that's what I was going to say. Montana, you're just like, you don't know where life's going to take you and you just want to communicate all things science. Well, have you, you know, considered being a podcast host or hosting your own podcast? Or have you ever heard of, you remind me a lot of Allie Ward from the Ologies podcast. Really? That's a compliment. Yeah. Well, just for like your general curiosity about science and wanting to break it down and communicate it for people. And if you haven't listened to Ologies, I definitely recommend it. Allie's pretty fun. So, uh, you know, if that is at all, if you want to come out from behind the pen and paper and maybe put some, I don't know, more of your personality through voice inflection uh, out through a podcast, you know? (laughs) Well, the other day on the phone, my mom told me, and she wasn't kidding that I should become a travel influencer. And I was like, I, <laughs> I think um, being a podcast host is a little more viable. So, you know, all things to consider. I, I have no idea. I, this is, that's a different world. The influencers, <laughs> I still don't really understand. Don't so I'm just above that age. <laughs> that was a nice compliment by her. But I was like, I'm, I'm not sure I'm cut out for that one. <laughs> I like the podcast idea, though. Um yeah, you too. Yeah. So you're in New Zealand for at least another, what, uh, eight, uh, six months? Yeah, I mean, my visa is good until August. Um, I have plans at least up until May. Basically, I'm organizing all of my plans around doing most of New Zealand's great walks, um, which are basically like their most famous tramping slash backpacking tracks. Um, so I have a lot of really cool things to look forward to. I'm not quite sure where life is going to take me slash how long I'll be there. But I think that's part of the process and, you know, letting go a little bit and kind of being less anxious about having every single step of the way planned out. So I have a lot to look forward to and a lot of cool adventures coming up. And I think that's, you know, I can't ask for more than that right now. For sure. I feel like I'm learning a lot from you. (laughs) So you're there, you have time, you're pretty much just planning on going for uh, uh, adventuring in the outdoors, but you're also freelancing and and doing some work here or there. Uh, I heard you have a recent article coming out with USC Sea Grant on their Urban Ocean Initiative. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, for sure. So I um, was an intern with Sea Grant over the summer, and we're just kind of putting together 
my article, um, which by the time this podcast comes out should be out on USCC Grant's website. Um, it's part of their November newsletter. Um, but basically, I wrote about um, USCC Grant's Urban Ocean Initiative, which um, so if you don't know, there are two Sea Grant branches within the state of California. You have California Sea Grant, which is at UCSD in San Diego, and then USC Sea Grant is located at USC. So USC's branch is a little bit smaller, but they focus specifically on the urban ocean, which makes sense because LA is one of the biggest cities in the world. And, you know, we're bordered by the ocean, essentially from, you know, like, what is it, Orange County all the way up to Ventura. Um, and it was a really cool project. I got to talk to a lot of the people that work for Sea Grant and about their, you know, their various roles and involvements and kind of how they progress this agenda of the urban ocean. And I think it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before is that you really can't have progress or positive change unless you have people that are interacting and with and understanding why ocean health and shoreline conservation, all those all of those things matter. And I think especially in LA, it's such a diverse and widespread population that there are a lot of people who don't interact with the ocean on a daily basis. So a lot of the urban ocean initiative is how do we explain to groups like that, that the ocean is just as important and necessary to protect if they're not interacting with the ocean every day. So USCC grant has all kinds of really cool programs and opportunities and trying to get people more involved with and interacting with, with the ocean um, and they do a great job of that. They bring people out to Catalina. They bring people out to Alta Sea, um, the aquaculture initiative that I was talking about earlier. Um, so it was a really cool piece to write. And I think that it gave me some inspiration for kind of the reason behind the stuff that I like to do. And, you know, they're doing the same stuff. They're trying to educate people through exposure and experience and creating positive interactions with the ocean and the coast so that people will understand that these are incredibly important resources to protect. Yeah, can't argue with that. I mean, we were just uh, the ASPPA National Coastal Conference was in Long Beach, uh, California. And that was my first time experiencing that beach. Uh, it was relatively small. I mean, it's, I'm glad that they had a beach. It was just unfortunately um, was pretty covered in trash. I think they had just had a recent storm come in and just kind of blew in a bunch of stuff from that was just hanging off off the coast and was washed up on shore. And it was a little disheartening and disappointing coming from, you know, East coast beaches or like even visiting Santa Monica once before. And that was the most spectacular beach that I've ever seen. Um, it was just, it almost felt like if New York city had a beach beach, that's how, that's what I would picture it. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty bad for long <laughs> beach. Uh, but essentially, you know, it's, it's, I feel like, Mm, there should be more opportunities for folks to come down and clean up their beach uh, or, you know, taking care of it, still having that opportunity and exposed to it. It was just uh, it, it might be few and far between in the urban environment for sure. Um, yeah, I think that USCC grant, you know, they try and draw those connections so that people will want to go out and, you know, clean their beach and feel personal responsibility for it and feel proud that we have a beach that we want to preserve and protect and make sure it's beautiful for you know, ourselves and our future generations and marine ecosystems and all of those things. Yeah. And I think that, you know, sp speaks a lot to the uh, value of the work that you've been doing. And, you know, hopefully, you know, I'm a little biased. I hope you continue to uh, write about things like climate change and, and beaches, but I think it points to the value in 
um, that communication, um, making people aware of um, the impact that they have on the environment. And I, I guess even more broadly, I mean, we tend to focus on beaches and coastal, but um, just, you know, more broadly, uh, the impact that we have on the environment. Um, uh, so I think it's the, the communication part is a really critical piece. So, um, you know, this is a one of the things that we try to kind of get out of all of our guests um, is, is a bit uh, of advice for uh, students or young professionals that may want to get into careers similar to those of our guests. Now, you're a little bit different because you started a career and now you're traveling and you're not quite certain. But I guess, um, you know, you've already touched on some things about like kind of pursuing your uh, your interests, um, um, you know, maybe taking paths that are presented to you that you didn't necessarily see coming. Um, but is there, I guess, any advice that you would offer to people that are, you know, just kind of considering what to do? They're kind of interested maybe in coastal or the environment, like how, how to, you know, what's the advice for young people, I guess? Yeah. I mean, I think, so I had a really good conversation with one of my professors at USC right before I graduated. Um, and he was my marine biology professor, my aquaculture professor, um, just such a great guy. So Scott Applebaum, if you ever listen to this, thank you. Um, <laughs> but Scott said to me that he said, one thing that is really great about you is that you're always trying things. And I think that that, I think that's, you know, that was a great compliment, honestly. And I hadn't really thought about it that way, but I do think that that that's how you start any new endeavor. And, you know, whether you are interested in working in the coastal sphere, or maybe you just, maybe you will hate it. I don't know, but you got, you got to try something. I think that if you don't try things, you'll, you'll never know. Um, and at least for me, like that led to, that led me to New Zealand. Like that's led me to so many cool different opportunities and just, you know, reaching out to people and asking questions. And if there's something that sparks your curiosity, just, I don't know, go and try it. I think that that's really all that you can ask of yourself. And I think that in the grand scheme of things, I will have no regrets about the way that I operated because I just pursue my curiosity and I try things that I'm curious about. Yeah, you can even, I think, tie that all the way back to your initial, one of the first things you talked about, your fear of the ocean, I guess, initially, right? You know, and I think people are generally uh, tend to be nervous or frightened by things they don't understand completely and how you've turned that into uh, that curiosity and now you've kind of pursued that path and kind of, uh, you know, turn that, that initial, I guess, fear into, uh, at least the beginnings or the startings of a, a career path. Uh, I think that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, that was one of the, I think one of my, not to be biased, one of my favorite, uh, interviews, I think Montana, you, you had a lot of valuable advice, um, for our students and young professionals. And you had a lot of advice for us. Right. Exactly. <laughs> my goodness. Exactly. I feel like oh, learned man. so much. I, I think I'm going to quit and just travel <laughs> to New Zealand. See Honestly, good plug. But, uh, <laughs> hopefully, uh, I was like, thank you to uh, Montana for joining us today. Yes. Thank um, you so much. Thank you for having yeah, me. Th- you're, 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 you're welcome. And, and of course, thank you to our audience for tuning into this, uh, this podcast. Just a quick few quick updates, um, an update on the student and new professionals chapter of ASPPA's mentoring program. Um, again, the idea of that program is to pair students and new professionals with mentors in their field um, to get ideally mentors and mentees uh, volunteering to participate and 
student and new professionals are going to match the mentors and mentees in a flexible DIY program. Our last podcast episode dealt with mentoring and the importance of mentorship. Um, for more information about that, you can always join the Student and New Professionals monthly call on the third Wednesday of each month um, or send an email to ASP, asbpa.smp at gmail.com to get connected for that program. Uh, a reminder to our audience that the Coastal Summit, uh, ASBPA's Coastal Summit, is in Washington, D.C. as always. Uh, it'll be held March 21st through 23rd. Uh, for those of you with long-range planning goals, uh, the National Coastal Conference is on October 11th to the 13th this year in Providence, Rhode Island. So we can visit Marissa in her neck of the woods. Hopefully she'll be there. I'll take you um, out to the bar. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and if you enjoy listening to this podcast, I would ask you to consider supporting Going Coastal uh, while aligning your brand with the ASBPA Students and New Professionals chapter. Uh, we can customize a sponsorship package for your company to deliver on your marketing goals and connect with the next generation of coastal pros. Uh, share your story in top coastal and ocean podcasts and on coastal news today. Uh, if that interests you, uh, if you're interested in becoming a sponsor, please reach out and contact Tyler Buckingham at tyler at coastalnewstoday.com or go to coastalnewstoday.com backslash advertising. Once again, uh, thanks, Montana, and uh, look forward to hearing where your travels take you next. Mm-hmm.